I want you to do something that might seem a little risky, perhaps even a little frightening for a few moments. But don't worry. We're all going to be doing this together and everything will be all right. What I would like for you to do is this. I want you to think about a time when it seemed the entire world cratered in on you. All of us have had them, and some of us might even have had several such events when this seemed to be the case. It might be the death of a spouse or a parent, maybe even a child. It could have been when your husband or your wife came to you and said, I don't love you anymore, and handed you divorce papers. Receiving a bad diagnosis, finding yourself in bankruptcy, dealing with a terminally ill person that in all reality, it would truly be a blessing even for them if they died. Now, sometimes, and culture tells us this too, sometimes we feel like we just need to move on, to simply get over whatever the tragedy is. But oftentimes, and what reality really says is, we have to live in the midst of hurt and pain, and sometimes we have to live in that hurt and pain for a very good long while. And the problem is, today everything is fine, and we're leading a normal life, but then tomorrow comes, and our worlds change, and nothing is ever the same again. Many of us just went through that same realization with the COVID pandemic. It is altering, and it has altered many things in our lives. Our lesson from Jeremiah, Jeremiah finds the nation of Israel in exile in Babylon. When Jeremiah says to them, it's not, oh, everything's going to be fine, do hurry back, or even once you get through this ordeal, things will be normal again. Instead, it is a word that is given to Israel and Judah that the much-needed reality check of this exile for many of those taken to Babylon after the war is permanent. Your address is now in Babylon, not Jerusalem. Rather than making plans for your return, dreaming of what it will be like when you cross back over the Jordan River into the Promised Land, you need to make your home there in the midst of your sorrow and tribulations. If you took your sons and your daughters with you, don't withhold them from marriage. Give them in marriage so that you as a people can continue to multiply. Plant a garden next to your home to provide food for you because you will need it. Go ahead and build a house because it will be at least a generation before you return to Jerusalem and that is if your children do decide to return. But also, don't pray for the demise of this city, hated though it may be, because you are now linked to it. Pray therefore for God, to God for its well-being, because if it prospers, you will prosper. And if it is safe and secure, then so are you. Now, these are not the words that we want to hear from Almighty God when we're in grief and distress. We want God to wipe the tears from our eyes, 
to hold us in the palm of his hand, to comfort us when afflicted, to be the loving and benevolent God that we know him to be. So how do we reconcile the fact that sometimes God doesn't act in that way? What are we supposed to expect from a God who might leave us for a time in the dark places, in the dark nights of the soul? Well, first we must remember that one of the strongest bonds that we as humans understand is our relationship with God in the context of family. Part of our own Trinitarian doctrine is predicated on familiar relations. And we say that God is Father and God is also Son. Oftentimes, throughout the Psalms and the Prophets, God refers to himself as Father, as the all-caring, all-loving, all-nurturing Father. And in this way, God is the ultimate father, the perfect father, upon whom all good fathers base their behavior and their actions. So if this is the case, then why do we find this good father telling his children that the exile will be a long time to prepare to live in this condition that many would have found distressing and depressing. We need to turn to a word that we don't use very often in everyday speech, but it does find itself in some translations of the Bible and in the Psalms, and the word is chasten or chastening. Chasten is a form of discipline. Now, sometimes we call it punishment, but what chastening is, is what parents do to their children when they are correcting them properly. For example, a chastening hand is the one that swats the young child's hand away from the hot stove and tells him not to touch it because he will be burnt and it's best for you to just stay away from the stove. So please go play over there on that side of the kitchen. That is far different from an abusive hand that not only swats the child, but yanks the child around, yelling and screaming, and then locking them out of the house. You, You see the difference? Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdoms, have been sent off to exile because they have not obeyed the law, the Torah of God. Rather than worshiping Yahweh as the only God, they began to worship idols, the Baal. They worship trees and sacred poles. They forgot the law of the Lord. They forgot to keep the Sabbath holy. And in doing so, they lost their identity as the holy, set-apart, consecrated people of the Most High God. And their society began to display this. Widows and orphans were no longer cared for. Justice sided with the corrupt who were rich, who could pay off the judge. Businesses exploited their workers by either not paying them a fair day's wage or by holding their payment for a full week or a fortnight or even a month, which goes against the social codes found in Torah. The children of Abraham as generation followed generation, ceased to be people of the covenant, 
and instead became just like all the other tribes and the nations that surrounded them. And this is the reason they fell into exile, according to the books of the kings and Isaiah and Jeremiah and others. God is chastening. He is disciplining his children so they remember who they are in relationship to him. What we learn by reading the prophets is that eventually some of the Israelites rediscover their identity. They learn the lesson of what it means to be the consecrated people of God, through whom the promises of Abraham that were given to him would be fulfilled. And the chief promise, the one that we live into today, is that the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the king following in the line of David, was to come through them to restore the world. Israel as a people, a nation, was not just an isolated people, but rather through their living and through their keeping of the law, was to be the family from whom the Messiah, our blessed Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, was to come. And in being Messiah, the Christ, Jesus draws all the nations of the world back to God through his own keeping of Torah by being born a Jew and dying on the behalf of his people, both Jews and Gentiles. While the exile seemed as if it was the end for these people, God was still faithful to Israel. God has always been and always will be faithful to Israel. And us, we Christians, the new Israel grafted into that family tree, are assured these same promises. God is faithful to us as well. At the beginning of the sermon, I asked you to remember a time when all hope seemed lost, a period of time that perhaps was even years of unraveling until the event ended if it has indeed ended. Now, I'm not going to tell you that those events were God chastening you or disciplining you for something, someone, perhaps even you did. At worst, that would be cruel. And at the best, it's because that's probably not true. Death, divorce, chronic and terminal illnesses, war and famine, those are all part of the life of the world in which we live. But the point is not the cause and the effect. The point is God's unfailing faithfulness and compassion. The book of Lamentations, traditionally said to also be written by Jeremiah, is a lament over the fall of Jerusalem, the beginning of this very exile that we are talking about. But tucked deep inside that book, written while the buildings of Jerusalem were still smoldering, is this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And if that sounds somewhat familiar, it's because the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, is based upon that passage. When we find ourselves in these times, 
when we remember that the steadfast love of the Lord endures, we remember that God did not forsake Israel. Yes, calamity struck. Yes, war raged. And yes, many people died far from their home in an alien land. But God never forgot his people. And he never stopped loving them. About 70 years after this passage was written, Cyrus, king of Persia, not only set the Israelites free from Babylon, but he told them they could return home. And to help them all out, Cyrus himself provided the funds to rebuild not just Jerusalem, but also the temple which had been destroyed, which we know as the second temple. And it was that temple that Jesus and Peter and Paul and all of our New Testament saints saw and knew and loved. But most importantly, God was faithful in that he restored the throne of David in the Messiah, in our King. And this would not have been possible with Israel on the trajectory it was on prior to the exile. But once the people returned home and they understood and knew their role as the holy people of God, they began, and this is very important, they began preparing for the Messiah. Not waiting for the Messiah, but preparing for the Messiah. Preparing for whom we know as Jesus, the son of Joseph, the son of Mary, the son of God. But this event could not have occurred if the people were not reconsecrated, which the exile prepared them for. When we find ourselves in these dark times that seem to never end, one thing we can do is to take the time to examine ourselves. In the lonely and dark days that follows a death, a divorce, the loss of a job, It's hard work. It's very hard work. But it is also essential work. God is faithful and will remain faithful to us, his people, to you and to me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. We may have to live in sad times for a while, but we also take comfort that joy does indeed come, and it comes in the morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.